Now, you follow, as I read a portion of God's Word, this is out of the book of Galatians. Um, it's a rather um, um, unsavory moment in the history of the Christian church. It reads like this, at verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas, that of course is Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, I want to start this morning by telling you an Old Testament story. It's a story that I think you probably already have, already know and have heard of before. But um, you know, in the Old Testament, there were the three patriarchs: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the scoundrel that weaselled uh, the birthright away from his brother Esau. His brother Esau was so mad that he wanted to kill Jacob. So their mother told Jacob, "Get lost!" And so Jacob ran. He ran to the north and the east, and he ended up finding some of his own relatives, you may recall. Um, The the head of the home was a guy by the name of Laban. Um, He had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And um, Jacob ended up marrying both of them after Laban kind of tricked him, as you may recall. But time marches on, and Jacob was really prospering as a shepherd, and Laban, his father-in-law, didn't like that, thought he was stealing from him, and Jacob thought his father-in-law, Laban, was stealing from him. And so Jacob comes home one day, gets his two wives together, and says, listen, this ain't working out. Uh, You know those family squabbles, Uh, we we got to leave. Two girls said, well, fine with us, we don't have anything invested in Laban, let's go. So they packed all their things and left. Laban didn't like that. And so Laban gets together a little group of soldiers and chases them. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Overtakes them. But before he can harm them, he has a dream. <clears throat> and the dream, and in the dream, God said, Don't you mess with those people. Don't you be mean to them. Don't you hurt them. So Laban and Jacob get together and have a big powwow, and they kind of fight it all out. And then they decide that, okay, um, let's be at peace again. Let's, let's be friends again. Now, what I want to read you is just one quick verse. Um, right after they decided that they were going to be friendly again, we're told this. This is in Genesis 31, verse 54. 
So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Guys, do, do, you, do you see what just took place? <clears throat> Jacob runs, Laban chases, they get together, they work it all out, they kind of agree to, you know, maybe disagree, and, and as a token of their new friendship, they have a meal together. You see, table fellowship in this culture was far more significant than it is in ours. It, it, it symbolized something. It symbolized that the people around this table we're friends. We're at peace one with the other. And you see that in that little story I just told you. Now, race on over to the book of Galatians. <clears throat> For Peter to withdraw from table fellowship with those Gentiles in Galatia communicated, at least in the mind of Paul, that there was no peace between Gentiles and Jews. <clears throat> um, Peter was treating the Gentiles as if they were still outside the household of faith because um, the, the circumcision party, do you see that in the text? The circumcision party had convinced Peter that you're really not a part of the household of faith unless you have been circumcised. Oh, you got to believe in Jesus, isn't it? Indeed. <clears throat> but you must also be circumcised. Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, saw that as a denial of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so he confronts Peter in public, face to face, nose to nose, and he calls him the hated H word. You hypocrite. <clears throat> you see, folks, for Paul, the gospel was simple. Whoever embraced the Savior that God sent by faith alone was then ushered into the family of God, no matter what their ethnicity happened to be. But for the circumcision party called the Judaizers, faith in Jesus was just not enough. They needed to add something. You know, they needed to uh, maintain Jewish ceremonial cleansing laws. <clears throat> and in addition to that, they needed to be circumcised. Paul views that as an utter denial of the gospel. And as a result of what he had just heard, 
or is seen take place with Peter and the Judaizers, Paul is fighting mad. You remember what he said in the first chapter? This is just 8 and 9, um, chapter 1. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. If you tamper with the gospel by adding anything to it, says Paul, let might you fall under the divine curse of God. Oh, Paul, Paul, Paul. Uh, back off there. I mean, I think, Paul, you've gotten carried away. You think so, says Paul? Okay. Let me say it again. And he says the same thing, verse 9. He doubles down. Because you see, for Paul, anyone who tampered with the gospel was an enemy, was someone who was to be treated harshly. For Paul, any addition to the gospel was to emasculate the gospel. It was to eviscerate the gospel from all of its beauty. Oh, Jimmy, that's... uh, that's a little harsh. Well, okay, but I, I'll read you something else that Paul said. This is in chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this, guys. This is. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Guys, do you know what that just said? It said, okay, if you want to continue this effort to save yourself by law-keeping, okay. But that means you've got to do it all. All of it. Perfectly. Both on the inside and the outside. And you say, oh, but Paul, Dr. Young, I can't do that. No, you can't. And if you have finally come to that recognition that you are going to fall short, then there is another remedy available to you. The remedy is to be found at a table where God and sinners eat together because they are now at peace one with the other. Folks, everything necessary to establish peace between the guilty and the holy is on display on this table. It is the broken body and shed blood, at least their emblems, that are sitting on the top of this table. I don't see circumcision sitting on there. I don't see baptism sitting on there. But what's here is all that is necessary 
for any of us who have finally recognized I can't keep the law perfectly. No, you can't. So, there's another remedy. And it's on display in this sacrament. So we invite you to God's table where you will find everything necessary to, to save a sinner and around this table sits people who are at peace with God. If that's you, we invite you to come join us. Our Father, would you use this sacrament once again to show every congregant just how simple is this gospel that though we might try to make it complex we might try to alter it to do so is to incur the everlasting wrath of God what we need oh God as sinners is what's on this table Christ and Christ crucified Meet us here, O God, and remind us of what you've done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.